0: You're listening to The Corbett Report.
1: CorbettReport.com
2: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report podcast. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, on this 20th day of February, 2011. I'd like to encourage all of the listeners, as always, to check into my website, CorbettReport.com, where you can find previous episodes of this podcast, as well as articles, interviews, and videos created and conducted by myself in the past, and links to other websites and media affiliates like TragedyAndHope.com and ZeroPointRadio.com, just to name two, that The Corbett Report supports and that support The Corbett Report. And this week, I would like to send my thanks to all of those who wrote in over the course of the past week to give their opinion on whether Sunday Update should or should not be included in the podcast, as it has been being included for many, many, many months. Well, this week, after having only received two emails the week before, I received a flood of emails this week, so thank you for all of that feedback. And the vast, vast majority of the feedback was in favor of taking Sunday Update out of the podcast and expanding the podcast to one hour on one theme only. So that is a done deal at this point, and that is how it will be. But of course, people are still interested in getting the MP3 audio of the Sunday update because they're not always able to watch the video as they're on the go and need some audio input. So... In my quixotic effort to please everyone all the time, you may have noticed, if you are subscribed to the Corbett Report podcast feed specifically, you receive the MP3 audio of Sunday Update coming through the feed this week. If you're subscribed to the Everything feed, you will get the video delivered to your podcatcher of choice, iTunes, or whatever it may be. So, there you go, and... In the future, I hope that both the mp3 and the video will be feeding out through the Corbett Report Everything feed. And that is the RSS feed located at the bottom right corner of the Corbett Report banner that is at the top of every page. So please subscribe to that one. That's where all the videos and all the audio should be coming through. And I am going to attempt to really make everything available in every possible format to try to appease everybody. But I know that perhaps there will be some things that fall through the cracks. If so, please let me know. And one other note you may have noticed if you're subscribed to the podcast feed or if you're watching the Corbett Report uh, videos, you may have noticed that there was a new The Last Word on Overpopulation video that fed out through the uh, both the Corbett Report podcast feed and the Corbett Report Everything feed, and that is part of a new weekly video series, knock on wood, I'm hoping to make it a weekly video series uh, called The Last Word, and it will be on various topics, a commentary, uh, probably about 10 minutes in length each time. So look forward to that coming through the feed, and just another reason why you really should subscribe to the Corporate Report's everything RSS feed. It really is the best place to go to get all of the all of the vast amounts of data that are coming out from the Corporate Report on an almost daily basis. So uh, on that note, if you don't know how to subscribe to an RSS feed, please Scroogle it, don't Google it. Scroogle.org to uh, look up RSS feeds and how to subscribe to them. They really are a great way of keeping up to date with all of the work that we're putting out. But now, without further ado, I'd like to get into today's episode. And today is episode 176, 30 Ways the Government is Spying on You. But in the vein of previous episodes of this podcast, such as episode 31, Welcome to 9-11 Truth, and episode 66, Vaccines as Silent Weapons, Today's episode is going to be a documentary episode. That is to say, I've cobbled together some audio of various clips that I think demonstrate the point of today's episode quite clearly. And uh, as such, I don't think there needs to be any audio commentary from me. I'll let you put the pieces together. But of course, as always... All of the audio from today's episode can be found, the source do- uh, audio f- for all of the things cited in today's episode can be found on the documentation link that is found on the uh, post of this podcast. So please go to corporatereport.com and look up podcast episode number 176 to find the documentation that will take you to the links so you can find out more information about all of these various ways in which government and media are spying on you, tracking you, and databasing you. And it is an incredible list of things, from the very subtle and very covert to the very blatant and very overt, from science fiction, Orwellian nightmare fantasy to mundane reality. And unfortunately, it's all becoming mundane reality at this point. But as I say, this is an audio documentary episode, so that's all you'll be hearing from me on this front this week. So thank you for tuning into the Corbett Report podcast, and please enjoy this audio documentary.
3: I think surveillance and tyranny or surveillance and the loss of freedom really go hand-in-hand hand when you look at other civilizations, other societies over the years, you know, all the way up into you know, the 20th century. There is this really strong link between autocratic or despotic or excessive government power And at the same time, all sorts of surveillance mechanisms, whether they're secret police or national ID cards or other kinds of mechanisms that are designed to make sure that people are being watched and perhaps even more insidious, that they know they're being watched.
4: Here we are at Corporate Slave America Walmart Supercenter in Hickory, North Carolina, where just before the holidays... The police department decided they need to put up one of these OCX Skywatch towers. They purchased it using JAG grant funding from the Federal Recovery Act of 2009. Uh, they started out during the holiday seasons um, saying they were going to patrol the area for the the mass influx of customers coming through here. But what we have seen is that they just moved it shortly after Uh, the turn of the year to the local Target parking lot and they also ended up putting it over at the mall but this week I ride by and here it is back here again it's manufactured by OCX um, ICX ICX Uh, they're a Department of Homeland Security contractor I don't believe they're out here today or else they would have already started a conversation with me. i talked to him before. All they really had to say was that it was, quote, operation. Security cameras. This is total police state. First time I come out here, somebody had a van parked out here. It said, Ron Paul was right. There will be
5: much work for us to do in the next year and in the next Congress we need look no further than the grossly unconstitutional and immoral policies of the Transportation Security Administration, demanding that we either be irradiated or fondled to travel in our own country to see that those who would deprive us of our civil liberties on the empty promise of full security will not be given up easily. We must continue standing up to them, and we must not compromise. We must not allow the out-of-control Department of Homeland Security to impose an East German-like police state in the U.S. where neighbors are encouraged by big brother or big sister to inform on their neighbors. We must not accept that government authorities should hector us via television screens as we go about our private lives like we are living in Orwell's 1984.
1: Hi, I'm Janet Napolitano, Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Homeland Security begins with hometown security. That's why I'm pleased that Walmart is helping to make our communities more safe and secure. If you see something suspicious in the parking lot or in the store, say something immediately. Report suspicious activity to your local police or sheriff. If you need help, ask a Walmart manager for assistance. Thank you for doing your part to help keep our hometowns safe.
3: The government is now using x rays to x ray you while you drive around. That's right, using the same technology that's in those airport scanners. Feds are now using these mobile x ray vans, and they can see through cars, walls, and clothing. Joining us now is Mark Rotenberg, who's the executive director of Electronic Privacy Information Center. Mark, it's good to see you. We live in a very dangerous world. There are people who want to hurt us and, and hurt us badly. What is wrong with the government using this technology in, a, in an attempt to keep us safe?
6: Well, I think in some
7: circumstances it's appropriate. Uh, new technologies uh, do help make us safe.
8: So let's talk about something that could be great news for the war, you know, you can count on our scientists and innovators to come up with things to make it better, uh, make our soldiers more effective in battle, and how about this, a better eye in the sky, they're calling it the blue devil, it's a huge thing, they call it the size of an enormous, which was already, a freakishly large, uh, blimp
5: that's in the sky. Seven times the size of the Goodyear blimp, and here's what is interesting is that you know that we hear that the predator drone is a great way to keep an eye on things from the sky but effectively the viewpoint they have is like looking down a straw down a soda straw with the blue devil what they can do is they've got so many cameras on board they can actually take a look and know exactly what's going on over 36 square miles. And re- normally, to uh, be able to analyze all that stuff, you would need 2,000 analysts. But instead, they've got these supercomputers on board that do all the figuring out about okay, we just heard somebody right over there say this. How do we follow
9: them? Well, Ogden will soon have a new crime fighting tool, a blimp. The city worked with Weber State University to develop unmanned aerial surveillance. Fox 13's Eric Avon is live with WIA dirigible was the top choice. Hey, Erica.
10: Hey Max, nice job saying that. that. Is why I didn't want to say it. Uh, but basically, the mayor of Ogden is saying that it's a blimp is cheaper than a small helicopter or a fixed-wing airplane. They say that it, this blimp can also hover in one place. Say, for example, over a parking lot where there may have been a rash of break-ins, and they might need some of that surveillance. The blimp that Weber State designed in Ogden was on its police force. Doesn't look like the typical fat blimp. It's shaped like a cigar. It's 52 feet long and 4 feet wide. Cameras are mounted on it and give a really clear view of what's happening on the ground. Weber State Center of Aeronautical Innovation has been testing their creation and says it's perfect for police work. The blimp can hover in place, can pivot, or it can pursue. Its top speed is 40 miles per hour.
11: The United States government has gone surveillance crazy um, from uh taking the weather satellites that have watched the rest of the world and are now focusing on uh, Americans. Uh, It seems like all the surveillance being done now from the investigations of Pentagon officials now to everyone is under the gun, but they're not terrorists, they're just your ordinary American citizens. The latest gadgetry to be revealed recently are so-called insect-like drones. Uh, war protesters in both Washington and New York City, small groups of people, and these are, again, not terrorists, and the government knows they're not terrorists. Uh, They've noticed these little insect-like things flying over them. And, of course, the government denies that they're they're really surveillance cameras, but... the people that have been there, eyewitnesses, have noticed they stop, they kind of focus, and they look like mechanical bugs. Come to find out after some research, it was revealed that the government really does have a number of these kind of gadgets from catfish, they have small birds they've designed, and they're all designed for one thing, to watch us. For a long time, the government's been trying to perfect these kind of gadgets, and again, not to watch terrorists per se, they're watching American citizens. Uh, since the 1970s, the CIA has been involved. The Department of Defense has been involved. And so now we've got one more link, in this what I would call the electronic concentration camp.
6: It's CCTV, but not as we know it. These pictures are from thinking cameras. They're counting the number of passengers on this railway platform, and they're programmed to pick out any unusual movement or behavior. Like the 7 London bombers, Researchers at Reading University think they've got the technology to spot the terrorists before they strike, and government ministers think it could make all the difference.
12: We're able to look within a plane in terms of how people behave, and again, that adds to it. But of course, ideally, we want to stop people ever getting to a plane, um, and that I, I believe that this will enable us to do it, and I believe, well, I know we are ahead of anyone in the world in this area.
6: Umar Farooq Abdulmutallab, who allegedly tried to blow up this plane over Detroit on Christmas Day. The new generation CCTV that could have identified him earlier is already being tried out on aircraft and here on the ground at Toulouse Airport in France. We were given the chance to put it to the test by abandoning a suspect item among a small crowd made up of volunteers. I'm pretending to be a terrorist by taking my bag and leaving it just here And then walking away and seeing whether the system can pick me up. Within seconds, a computer has compared my movements with the people around me. And before I've even left the area, the alarm flashes. Bag and bomber identified.
10: Blake Robbins never imagined the computer he got from school could peer into his personal life.
4: I thought that there was no way that they could do this at my home.
10: His parents, Holly and Michael Robbins, filed a federal lawsuit against his suburban Philadelphia school district, claiming administrators spied on him using a remote-controlled webcam
13: on a school-issued laptop. I don't feel that the school has the right to put cameras inside the kids' home, inside their bedrooms and spy on children. The
10: suit claims a Harriton High School official enabled the device concerned the sophomore was engaged in improper behavior in his home. An assistant principal later confronted the student citing a photograph taken by the webcam as evidence.
14: So I click and there's an observe button and it brings up their screen. Photo booth is always fun. A lot of kids are just on it to check their hair, do their makeup to girls, you know. They just use it like it's a mirror.
15: So wait, do all the kids have the cameras on?
14: Six and seven three have cameras. This kid looks like they're editing their MySpace page. She doesn't need to be doing that. They don't even realize that we are watching. I always like to mess with them and take a picture. <laughs> uh, you know, nine times out of ten they duck out of the way because they don't, and then they shut down and they get right back to work.
10: It's the stuff horror films are made of. Hello? Yumi, are you there? Someone watching you, listening to you through your cell phone. It's just a little spooky. It happened to this man. We'll call him Dirk. He wants to keep his face and real name. She could hear him wherever he was.
9: She knows too much.
10: Dirk has his suspicions how it was done, and we do too. So does San Diego private investigator Dennis Kerwin. The PI says the technology is out there.
2: You can use any open cell phone as a listening device.
10: And now anyone can do it.
2: You carry a
16: device in your pocket that has an eye and an ear.
10: A quick search online for spy phones and dozens of different products pop up. For as little as $8, you can monitor text messages and see what numbers are being called. For just $150, you can listen in.
17: Now, here's another little article here, which is interesting to do with adaptation. When cell phones were first given to the public, like everything else is given out for the public to buy. Now, if they ordered you to get a computer and said it's law, you've got to have a computer or they ordered you to have a cell phone, you'd be a bit suspicious. So what you do is you put it out there, you do massive advertising campaigns, and you will buy it thinking it's fantastic. Meanwhile, there's a good reason that you've got it, that's good enough for you, but then there's a real reason. The real reasons never come out till much later once you're addicted to it. And this is again to do with cell phones. Also from the BBC News, on the 4th of June 2008, Mobile Phones Expose Human Habits by Jonathan Fields, or Feldi's Science and Technology Reporter. The whereabouts of more than 100,000 mobile phone users have been tracked in an attempt to build a comprehensive picture of human movements. The study concludes that humans are creatures of habit, mostly visiting the same few spots time and time again. Most people also live, move less than 10 kilometers on a regular basis, according to the study published in the journal Nature. Results could be used to help prevent outbreaks of disease or forecast traffic, the scientists said. This is the the excuse i given to the public. It would be wonderful if every mobile carrier could give universities access to their data because it's so rich, said Dr. Marta Gonzalez of Northeastern University, Boston, the U.S., and one of the authors of the paper. Dr. William Webb Is a nice name for you. They love giving us webs because we're in a web. Head of research and development at the UK telecoms regulator Ofcom agreed that mobile phone data was still underexploited. This is just the tip of the iceberg, he told the BBC News. I'll be back with more of this after this break because it's an interesting article on how you're being monitored and watched as you pay for it.
3: Our software is not intended uh, to find lost cell phones, it's really meant to have many people in the police force uh, moving together and know where they are, or if it's the military Blue Force tracking to avoid friendly fire. I asked uh, an intern to uh, take my iPhone, it was actually my personal iPhone, and walk around the block, Uh, and so we saw her on the map walking around the block and then Uh, the icon of it started moving away from our offices and we didn't understand what was going on. So we were getting on the phone about to call her because she was carrying my cell phone and uh, uh, the intern burst in the door crying saying that uh, she had just been mugged and uh, a a thief on a bicycle had grabbed the cell phone from her and had ridden off with it. We actually considered, when the robber was robbing this, of turning on the camera and seeing if we could see where he was from that, but we figured he probably had it in his pocket and it wasn't going to help much. Probably within less than a minute, the the, the person on 911 had talked to a dispatcher who sent the police car after this person, and so it was really quite exciting. I was calling out the, uh, the location and direction of the bicyclist, and the police car was following the directions
18: introducing google latitude latitude is a new feature on google maps that allows you to see where your friends and family are on a map and easily keep in touch with them to start sharing a location just send an invitation to a friend or accept if they ask you you have complete control over your privacy even after accepting invites let me show you how google latitude works i'm signing in to latitude then adding friends from my gmail contacts. When your friends accept, you can see them on your phone. For example, Ali shared his location with me. He's currently in Cairo visiting his friends. My friend Alice is one of my surfer buddies. We keep in touch through latitude. Let's see what the swells are like. I'm glad to see that mom and dad arrived home safely from the airport. There was some bad weather in New Jersey. Oh, look at this. Looks like some of my buddies are nearby. Playing tennis? Well, maybe they're free for dinner. My mom doesn't have a mobile, but I can still share my location with her through iGoogle on her computer.
12: The internet search engine Google has admitted accidentally copying household computer passwords and emails. The information from wireless networks was collected when its vehicles drove around residential streets, taking photographs for its worldwide street view program. It's not known whether UK homes are affected by the breach. Earlier, Google spokesman Peter Barron explained what action the company was taking to remedy the mistake.
6: We've never used this data for any Google product, and we never will use it. And our top priority now is to delete it. And we're working very closely with the authorities to make sure it is deleted. We're also determined to learn the lessons from, from this mistake. So in recent months, we've been working very hard... Uh, on our privacy procedures and we've just announced that we have appointed a new uh, director of privacy. Uh, we've also announced uh, tougher measures on training and on compliance.
12: Well let's get more on this from our technology reporter Daniel Emery. Um, they weren't using it for any Google product um, as we just heard Peter Barron say. So. Uh, why were they needing to gather this information in the first place?
6: Well, it's not being used for a Google product, but the thinking behind it at the time was that it might have been used for a Google product. When Street View, they started coming up with the idea of basically mapping your streets and taking pictures of everywhere, it was about sort of, three four years ago, and GPS wasn't very prevalent, and certainly it was c- still quite an expensive bit of kit. So what they were looking for was, was how can you map where somebody is on the map uh, without relying on satellites? And the idea was basically that they would plot you by using the signal strengths from different um, wireless networks, and they can work out roughly where you are. If one to the right of you is, is 10 strength, in other words, 6 strength, you're about there. So it was basically a mapping system to, to find out where you physically were on the map by using wireless. But
12: One would think, in, in that case, it's almost like walking around with a mobile phone and, and watching how the bars go. Why would it be necessary to actually look into the computer and pick out emails and passwords?
13: Could you be friends with government agents on Facebook and not even know it? In very creepy news, the Electronic Frontier Foundation has obtained documents that reveal two ways in which the government has been tracking people online. The first is a surveillance of social networking sites to investigate citizenship petitions, which includes government agents going so far as to friending people to learn their online secrets. Now, just to show how clueless the Department of Homeland Security agents really are about what it means to be on Facebook, listen to this following line from their memo. Narcissistic tendencies in many people fuels a need to have a large group of quote friends linked to their pages, and many of these people accept cyber friends that they don't even know. This provides an excellent vantage point for FDNS to observe the daily life of beneficiaries and petitioners who are suspected of fraudulent activities. So basically, if you're a suspected narcissist because you have a lot of Facebook friends, you're also suspected of fraud. Give me a break. Now, the second way they've been monitoring online is through a special command center that collected and analyzed online communications during public communications during Obama's inauguration. So, sites like NPR and Daily Coast were being watched.
1: Now, just how powerful are big corporations? We heard about their role in lobbying, but listen to this. The website Cryptome published a Microsoft document that showed the company stores private user information. Well, what happened? Microsoft had the site shut down. Joining us now is the site's creator, John Young, from our New York studio. So, Mr. Young, why do you think you're such a big threat to Microsoft, and how did they get your site shut down?
19: They used a sly technique of the copyright law Uh, which allows instantaneous shutdown, basically, uh, and and does not require a court order or litigation to do so. And it's a very common tactic that corporations are using right now to censor the web.
1: Now, why do you think you're such a threat to Microsoft?
19: Well, I think it's not only a threat to Microsoft, it's a threat to their client, which is the law enforcement agencies, who do do not want the public to know that this is going on. So I think that Microsoft is just fronting for the law enforcement people.
6: In other news today, the Rudd government is considering making it legal for companies to intercept employee emails without their consent. What's the thinking behind that?
20: Well, Terry, this is all being done in the name of national security. It is just a proposal at the moment. The government uh, is concerned about potential attacks aimed at computer networks. The Deputy Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, says that it's crucial to ensure that important networks uh, like running things like the stock exchange and electricity grids aren't open
21: to attack. Here she is speaking on the Today Show again. Technology is a big infrastructure issue these days. If our banking system collapsed, if our government electronic systems collapsed, obviously that would have huge implications for society. So we want to make sure that they are safe from terrorist attack. Part of doing that is to make sure we've got the right powers to ensure that we can tell if there's something unusual going on in the system. So it's a national security move, not a move about you know an unseemly interest in people's private emails. We're well, still at home, and censored government documents outlining controversial plans to spy on unsuspecting internet users have been revealed. Top-level government officials have been in talks with the internet industry over a proposal to log and store the web activities of every Australian, even if you're not suspected of committing a crime. Then the data will be made available to law enforcement agencies around the country. Now,
9: the government had intended to keep this plan under wraps. However the largely censored documents were obtained under the freedom of information laws with 90 percent of the detail crossed out with a thick black marker. So what exactly are they hiding?
21: For more on this we're joined by tech expert and managing editor of gizmodo.com.au Seamus Byrne and in Melbourne online privacy expert Colm Jacobs from Electronic Frontiers Australia. Good morning to you both. Morning. Um, Morning. Seamus why would the government want this information. It seems a lot of information to be collecting on every single Australian yeah, and well, their internet activity. Yeah,
15: I mean th- their argument is that this would be similar to, uh, to laws that are already in place in Europe uh, and that this is based on being able to combat terrorist activity and that's sort of how it, it came into, came to be in Europe. Uh, but I think one of the, the issues attached to that, uh, that basic idea is that of course if you throw more hay on the haystack then it, maybe it starts to get harder to find those needles. Shamus, exactly what kind of data would they be interested in keeping uh, this is the big question of course and this is why uh, the Sydney Morning Herald kind of put out that Freedom of Information request to try to find that detail uh, and this is what's happened is that we we've, we've not been told now if we look at the European uh, laws that are in place they're sort of more based around you know when people have been accessing the internet things like that uh, but some of the industry insiders here have actually been suggesting that uh, that they were asking for a lot more they're asking for uh, what is ultimately web browsing history now while the government has denied that that's what they're asking for uh, it's ultimately a technicality that they're arguing because if they're looking for like IP addresses which basically means you can still find out exactly what websites people have been going to
9: here's a question how many emails did you deal with today 10 20 maybe more now multiply your answer times every American who's online it's estimated that people in this country send billions of emails each day true a lot of emails are junk But others hold our innermost thoughts. They share intimacies, our complaints, or maybe our political opinions. And if you think your emails are private, prepare to watch and learn about a number of cases that each raise questions about how the government may be going through electronic mail. There is evidence the government has been intercepting most emails as part of its terrorist surveillance program. That program has been criticized as illegal because it's missing an important ingredient: search warrants.
11: Your emails
5: and my emails and everybody else's emails were evidently going to a government room. The
12: issue.
9: James Brosnahan is an attorney. He represents this man, Mark Klein. For 22 years, Klein worked as a technician for the largest telecommunications company in America, at and t Several years ago, Klein says he came to suspect that AT&T had installed secret computer gear designed to spy on Internet traffic at the request of the National Security Agency, or NSA. AT&T handles tens of millions of emails a day, not just for its own subscribers, but for other Internet companies, too. Upset by what he saw, Klein decided to blow the
16: whistle. I've been struggling for some months now t- to bring it out into the light of day and that's all really that I want to do is bring it out there so that people can examine it and decide for themselves.
20: While well, the president's been very aggressive about we're only listening to people talking to Al Qaeda. What the administration has failed to explain is if that's the case why didn't you get a warrant when you need a warrant in the United States or if you're doing it overseas, you don't need a warrant. So it leaves a lot of um, suspicion that what's been reported in the paper is in fact true, which is that the program's much wider than that. So so it's not just, uh, at least the criticism from the civil liberties standpoint, uh, for one, is that uh, apparently what the government has acknowledged is happening is not the only thing that's happening, because if that were it, it would be very simple
21: for them to have complied with, well, with we keep, FISA. Well, we keep
19: hearing these kind of code phrases, you know, from, from the Attorney General and the other apologists for this program, which, it, which suggests that, in fact, uh, the, all they want you to think they're doing is going after Al-Qaeda. But the reality is they also are saying, you know, that, that we may be doing more, but we can't acknowledge that because it's highly classified. We don't admit that we're doing more, but do, we don't rule it out. In fact, I think the attorney general said recently we're not going to rule out the idea that we're doing surveillance entirely within the United States, entirely within the United States, without a connection overseas. So what's visible now or what we believe is visible now is maybe only the the smallest part of a very large
6: program.
1: Top Secret America. That's the title of an explosive investigative series published in The Washington Post this morning that's already already creating a firestorm on Capitol Hill. It starts, quote, "...the top-secret world the government created in response to the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, has become so large, so unwieldy, and so secretive that no one knows how much money it costs, how many people it employs, how many programs exist within it, or exactly how many agencies do the same work." Some of the findings of the two-year investigation include More than 1,200 government organizations and nearly 2,000 private companies work on programs related to counterterrorism, homeland security and intelligence in about 10,000 locations across the United States. An estimated 854,000 people, nearly one-and-a-half times as many as live in Washington, D.C., hold top-secret security clearances. Many security and intelligence agencies do the same work, creating redundancy and waste. The series, by Washington Post reporters Dana Priest and Bill Arkin, includes an online searchable database and locator map. PBS Frontline is producing an hour-long documentary on the investigation that will run in October. This is its trailer.
19: You think you know America, but you don't know top secret America. We're all aware that there are three branches of government in the United States. But in response to 9-11, a fourth branch has emerged. It is protected from public scrutiny by extraordinary secrecy. Top secret America.
7: This is a closed community. And since 9-11,
20: it's become even more so. The money spigot was just opened after 9-11, and nobody dared say, I don't think we should be spending that much.
19: It has become so big, and the lines of responsibility are so blurred that even our nation's leaders don't have a handle on it. Where is it? It's being built from coast to coast, hidden within some of America's most familiar cities and neighborhoods. In Colorado, in Nebraska, in Texas, in Florida, in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Top Secret America includes hundreds of federal departments and agencies operating out of 1,300 facilities around this country. They contract the services of nearly 2,000 companies. In all, more people than live in our nation's capital have top-secret security clearance.
20: It's, again, the size, the the lack of transparency, and the cost. And if we don't get it right, uh, the consequences are gigantic.
8: Well, first of all, let me say that With all due respect to the Washington Post and Dana Priest and Bill Arkin are very good reporters we have to ask why did it take them seven years to do this story anyone who's been covering intelligence or national security in washington knows that intelligence has been privatized to an incredible extent and national security has been privatized to an incredible extent i broke the first stories on the intelligence industrial complex the first one appeared in mother jones in two thousand five in two thousand seven i wrote a major story for salon and the whole series in salon Uh, i disclosed that seventy percent of the u s intelligence budget is spent on private sector contractors and then of course i wrote this book which has a lot of this information that's in the post series So I find it rather amazing that it took them this long to actually do this kind of piece because the information has been there. And the American people have been ill-served by the Washington Post, whose coverage of these companies has been basically rah-rah journalism, rah-rah Lockheed Martin, rah-rah Booz Allen. Look at the profits they're making. There has not been this kind of careful look at what's actually happening. So that's the first point I'd like to make. And I think, you know, people should look at the work of myself, Jeremy Scahill, other journalists that have covered this, this sector uh, and, and, and put out the word of how much intelligence is controlled and gathered by private sector corporations.
3: In, some, in one of the operations that I was in, we looked at organizations just supposedly so that we would not target them, so that we knew where they were. As, as not to have a problem with them. Mm-hmm. Now, what I was finding out, though, is that the collection on those organizations was 24/7, and you know, 365 days a year, and it made no sense. And that's that's. I started to investigate that. That's about the time when when they came after me to fire me. But an, an organization that was collected on were um, U.S. Um, news organizations and uh, reporters and journalists. To what purpose? I mean, is there a file somewhere full of every email sent by all the reporters
7: at The New York Times? Is there a recording somewhere of every conversation I had with my little nephew in
3: in upstate New York? Is it like that? If if it was involved in this specific avenue uh, of collection, it would be everything, yes. Um, It would be everything.
16: Surveillance is an important component of law enforcement work. And the Nighthawk is a miniature spy plane that offers law enforcement the capacity to spy on a subject from the air. The Skyseer is another promising spy tool. This kite-like device can spy on a subject for an hour at an altitude of 200 or more feet where it's hardly visible, all the while streaming video to a computer or laptop as it flies. Unlike the Nighthawk, which was developed by the military for the military, the Skyseer was developed specifically for law enforcement and could be ready for prime time soon. The pole cam is simply a wireless camera attached to a pole, a simple but potentially life-saving device. It has the ability to allow police to peek around corners, survey the inside of a building before entering, or see what's on a rooftop without exposing themselves to danger. And finally, the dragon egg. This egg-shaped camera can be thrown through windows, through window screens, and over fences. It always lands upright and streams 360 degrees of simultaneous video coverage back to the computer. It's another way police can find out what's on the other side of a wall or inside of a building without risking their lives. These are just a few of the many technologies that could find their way into the hands of local law enforcement sometime soon.
20: Local 2 investigates the secret aircraft the Houston Police Department is now testing. It's a new unmanned drone that can patrol from the air. Now, it's also a device that HPD wanted to keep under wraps. And now, they're being just a little vague at how they're going to use it. KPRC Local 2 investigative reporter Stephen Dean gives you the first look at the plane that could soon be watching you from above.
7: Neighbors accustomed to livestock and wide open land had no idea what to make of all this. Black trucks, satellite dishes, a radar swirling, and a portable launch pad with something covered up. At the entrance to this Waller County ranch was a Houston police roadblock, checking all the dignitaries arriving for this secret test. Their invitation spelled out no media allowed. We tried to ask this HPD lieutenant on his way back out. They'll be coming out here in a minute. They all gathered around the the launch pad big shots with police departments from all over the Houston area and now the show they came for the test you were not supposed to see It's an unmanned drone aircraft. HPD, the Federal Department of Homeland Security, and other invited guests all watching to see how this drone could be used for police work in and around Houston. We tracked that drone from News Chopper 2, and that drone was able to use a high-powered camera to track us. Those cameras can actually look into people's homes or even follow them in moving cars, which raises all sorts of new questions.
21: First, there were eyes on the street, and now there are eyes in the skies. The director of national intelligence has given the go-ahead for the nation's spy satellites to be used regularly by U.S. civilian agencies and law enforcement.
11: This is a, a development all Americans should have great pride in because it expands and uses a national technical systems, which we've built for tens of billions of dollars over many decades.
21: SPY SATELLITES HAVE PRIMARILY BEEN USED OVERSEAS TO MONITOR THINGS LIKE WAR ZONES AND TERROR TRAINING CAMPS. THEY'VE ALSO BEEN USED DOMESTICALLY, BUT SPARINGLY, DURING EVENTS INCLUDING SUPER BOWL GAMES, PRESIDENTIAL INAUGURALS AND HURRICANES. HOMELAND SECURITY OFFICIALS SAY THE SATELLITES WILL NOW BE USED TO PROTECT BORDERS AND CRITICAL INFRASTRUCTURE.
11: WHICH INCLUDES PORTS AND LOOKING AT POTENTIAL uh, VULNERABILITIES and AND THREATS as well as consequences of attacks.
21: Next in line, law enforcement agencies, which are expected to start using them next year. While they can provide crucial high-resolution images, there are limits to what these satellites can do. They can't see faces, and they can't listen. At least, that's what the government
13: claims. Now, there are brand new cybersecurity measures underway in the UK. and. Well, they're pretty scary, to be honest. The British government has decided that it wants to have all communication outlets store data on their customers for at least a year. So that's going to allow the government to have access to every email, every phone call, everyone's entire internet history. Now, don't worry. The government promises that this won't create a super database. It'll simply give authorities the ability to investigate a suspect activity that would lead to crime or potential of terrorism. Now, the interesting part about the whole thing is that just last December, the Labour government was against this legislation. Back in May, the two major political parties came up with a coalition agreement mentioning Internet privacy concerns. And the document says that the government will end the storage of Internet and email records without good reason. And now suddenly they have a good reason?
10: It's used in key cards, prepaid tolls, even checked luggage. It's called RFID technology, or radio frequency identification. Small chips that store information. So, here's the chip. And now that same technology is literally available in the flesh with chips injected right into people's arms.
14: It says it burns a little bit. That's about it.
10: Atlanta firefighter John Santola was injected with the chip about the size of a grain of rice. When scanned, the number on the chip is linked to a database with Santola's medical history.
2: I think to go help me uh, in case of emergency.
10: Santola was chipped when Florida based VeraChip Corporation set up a booth at an Atlanta firefighter conference. They market the chip primarily for safety reasons, storing medical information for first responders, Alzheimer's patients, even children.
9: It is the only product that has been approved by the FDA for this
2: specific purpose.
10: The FDA approved the use of chips in humans in 2004, but since then it's caused quite a bit of controversy with some consumer groups, concerned about privacy, even health concerns. These are very powerful tools
19: Especially if they fall in the hands of a, uh, somebody with political ambitions.
20: Well, the best way to understand RFID is to understand what the acronym stands for. The RF part stands for radio frequency, the ID part stands for identification, and that's because they're, they're tiny microchips, little silicon wafers containing information that are hooked up to miniature antennas that use radio waves to transmit. So what that means is that if you have one of these tiny devices, uh, the little microchip with its antenna combination, you can put those in literally anything. You can embed them in a plastic card, like an ID card. You can put them in a passport. You can embed them into somebody's shoes. Uh, There literally is a company that is marketing RFID tags embedded in people's shoes that they would not know was there. You can sandwich them between the layers of cardboard. They can go into virtually anything. And once you've got the RFID tag inside of an item, it lies dormant until it's stimulated by radio energy from the environment. So, for example, if you walk through a doorway, if the doorway is equipped with an RFID portal or RFID an RFID reader, it kind of bombards you head to toe with this energy. And if you're carrying something or wearing something that contains an RFID tag, that energy is picked up by the antenna stimulates the chip, wakes it up, gives it just enough power to transmit its unique information. And in the case of most RFID tags, the information is a unique serial number, And the long-term plan for this is to create something called the Internet of Things, where literally every object on Earth, and when I say every object, they are envisioning every sewing needle, every jumbo jet, every pair of shoes, every Bible, literally every object on Earth containing one of these tags. The Internet of Things would be a way to track, monitor, and keep tabs on where everything is all the time.
6: Government spied on 500,000 UK citizens last year. The government last year gave permission to intercept the phone calls, letters and emails of more than 500,000 British citizens, a new report has revealed. The annual report of interception of communications commissioner, Sir Paul Kennedy, showed the government's interception program targets people in the UK and overseas. More than 600 central, local and quasi-government bodies are entitled to ask for and intercept data, he said. This is related mainly to who contacted whom, where and when.
0: The, worst, the question is, why, why did I write Little Brother in a book about surveillance and civil liberties issues and, and state intervention in personal life, in a book that was kind of related to 1984? Um, well, I'd worked in civil rights uh, and technology for a number of years when working for the Electronic Frontier Foundation in San Francisco. And, and also, so those issues mattered to me. And in the years since September 11th, I thought that we had really lost track of our priorities in terms of of freedom and rights. Um, And and then I thought that Orwell got something important wrong. I think that Orwell looked at, at technology and he saw that technology was giving power to the powerful at the expense of the powerless. That before, the government might have claimed that it had total control of your life, but as a practical matter, controlling you required a lot of work. And most people therefore got to slip through the cracks. But what technology did was multiply the power of the state. And he said, this is, this is technology's role. It makes, it makes people less freer. And I think that he mistook a local effect for the global effect. I think that what technology globally does is it upsets whatever the normal thing is. So if you've got a normal thing that you want to keep that way, you're, you're defending it, right? You've built a city, and you've built a wall around it, and you don't want anyone to knock down your city. And if someone else wants to knock the city down, they need to find one flaw in your wall. You need to make a perfect defense. They need to only find one imperfection in it to take it down. So Orwell saw this world in which the state gained more power through technology, but not long thereafter, certainly by my adolescence, technology was giving power back to individuals. It was allowing us to group together and to take uh, action on on our own bat to to do stuff without any kind of centralized authority or hierarchy. And that was really powerful. Now today I think people in your generation are seeing the next swing where technology gives uh, authorities power to assert even more control than they've ever had before. Um, you know, when I was an adolescent and I used computers, they not only had pterodactyls in them, but we also had no adult, adult supervision. Literally, no grown-up knew what we did with computers. There was no such thing as sensorware. There was no control over what services we could reach. There was no control over what information we could find or who we could talk to. In, in today's world, every si- school or library that has federal funding has to have mandatory surveillance and sensorware installed on it. Um, parents buy sensorware for their home networks and some of these companies are so creepy I'm not saying your parents do some of these co- companies are so creepy one of them was caught selling transcripts of kids IM and email sessions to market research companies right Ooh. to protect the kids um, and and you know we even have kids who are outfitted with um, cell phones that that report their location in real time to their parents like they were you know paroled prisoners wearing an ankle cuff you know so so That's I, a good thing. I mm? We'll talk about that in a minute. So, so what I see is, is a, a, an encroachment of, of on, per, on personal autonomy that's much greater than anything we've seen before. But I also think that we have, within our, within our technological world, the seeds of another generation of technology that will take that back, and that's cryptography and homebrewed technology and technology that allows us to form groups even more readily and technology that allows us to undermine surveillance and to confuse those who would surveil us. So all of that stuff comes together, I think, uh, in Little Brother, and it's a story about the turning point, where we go from technology once again being a thing that asserts control to a technology that undoes it.